All righty, good morning. We're going to get started here. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, where we're going to pick up in the middle of the chapter where we left off, the middle of the very first missionary journey, uh, the uh, evangelization of the entire Roman Empire. We're going to take a look at that. Of course, that's what the book of Acts is all about. How did Christianity come to the world? And so let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we always pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding to make sense of your word, to listen for the still small voice of God. God, you brought us to this place. You guide our footsteps. You are the sovereign God who destines our lives, and you caused our destinies to come together in this moment for a reason. There's a reason why we're all sitting here and uh, listening. We want to hear your voice because when we hear your voice, we have life. So speak to us. We're listening. We're open. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, and they're off. That is the three amigos, if it's okay to call them that. Um, we're going to have, whoops, we need to see the map. There we go. Awesome. Let us get some context because we are in the middle of evangelizing the entire Roman Empire. And uh, it's the very first missionary journey. And I thought I might start over here since I always go to the left. I'm going to go to the right. What do you think about that? The northerners. All right, listen. This church is unbelievable. It's, it's the first Christian church filled with, uh, with Gentiles, like most churches today. There's a few Jews in every group usually, but they're mostly Gentiles like we have here today. And this church is responsible for evangelizing the entire region of the world and they're, because they're sending missionary teams. Missionary teams from Acts chapter 13 to Acts 20 is all about missionary journey one, Missionary Journey 2, Missionary Journey 3, and if you want to count Paul going from Jerusalem to Rome to preach the gospel there, Missionary Journey 4. And so here before you, you have uh, the red is uh, the way going, and then things come to a stop here, and then the blue is returning back to the sending church at, I like to call it Calvary Chapel Antioch. Now, don't... <laughs> Don't, don't get confused because there actually is a Calvary Chapel Antioch not very far from here. So uh, anyway, that said, you'll remember the three in question is this converted, wild-eyed uh, former Pharisee, killer of Christians, who is converted and given his life to Christ. That would be the Apostle Paul. He's on the journey. Uh, the Holy Spirit set them apart there. And it's also Barnabas, a man full of the Holy Spirit, a good man, and well-versed in the scriptures. And somehow or another, Barnabas's nephew, John Mark, is along, and the Bible calls him a minister. And the word in the Greek means under-rower. It's uh, from the old uh, ships and the servants and the slaves in the, in the galley that would keep by their efforts, the boat going forward. And so that's the Greek word for all ministers, not just the ones serving 
Barnabas and Paul. And so the three of them leave. Last week we talked about they landed at Salamis for the very first time, and as is the custom, every single time they go to a foreign city to preach the gospel, almost every single time, they start with the Jews first. There's common ground, they have the Bible, they worship the one true God, they're looking for a uh, savior, they're looking for Messiah, and so they start, well, why reinvent the wheel? These people are just, all they're missing really, well, they're missing a lot, they're missing Jesus. So they're stuck in a lot of ritual, a lot of trying to keep the law, and they're looking for a Messiah that's already been and gone and sent his spirit. And so they start here, they preach the gospel there, they go across 90 miles to where we left off last week, Paphos, there, and this is the seat of government there where the governor of the entire island wanted to hear the word of God. And you'll recall that he believed, he heard the gospel, right? But not without a big dramatic struggle, apparently Sergius Paul's right-hand man, a staffer, was like a psychic. He was a sorcerer. He was kind of an astrologer, kind of fortune-telling kind of guy. He knew, uh-oh, my job's on the line. And so he tried to dissuade the proconsul, he's, he's a governor, uh, from the faith. And so Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, calls down a, a judgment miracle upon Elimus, the sorcerer, just to kind of show who's who in the room. And he said, you know, you're a child of the devil. You need to be quiet. You're a deceitful fraud. Uh, you're ripping this guy off. He pays you money, but you're just a child of the evil one. And so uh, he said, and from now, for a season, you're going to be blind. And God is going to give you a chance to think your life over in your darkness. <laughs> and so uh, Sergio and his household uh, become believers. And that's where we left off. We left off in the middle. Now, chapter 13 is going to take us to Perga and then all the way up into Galatia, where he's going to start planting churches in Galatia, where we're going to hear uh, the following Wednesday about a letter that he wrote to those churches. And so uh, chapter 13 ends here, but chapter 14 and 15 goes on. All right, so we're going we're gonna to get this far in chapter 13. So with that, I think that you're entirely caught up because the verse we're about to read, verse 13, picks up right as soon as these guys finish wrapping up the gospel, this man gets saved, and now they're going to set sail for this is all Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And so they're going to set sail for, for southern Turkey, as it were. All right, so verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Let's pause real quick there, because that's significant. It's not an incidental thing that John Mark wants to take off. Uh, we find out in later chapters that he actually deserted them and left them high and dry. This is going to cause a big, big problem between his uncle, Barnabas, and Paul, the apostle. And we're going to read about how two godly men separate, and it's really sad, but it's over this, that John wanted to go home to mom. Why? 
Well, you know, you get, you're in a missionary service at, back at Antioch, and they just laid hands on your uncle and, and this gifted man named Paul, and they're talking about going to the mountains of Galatia and Pamphylia and all of the adventures, and it's one thing to get all excited in missionary service, right? Uh, it's another thing to actually get there and find out that there are pirates and there's malaria and there are robbers in those hills and poisonous snakes and all kinds of things that went on actually as recorded there in the book of Acts. And so whatever, you got homesick, you know, it was too much for him, uh, or he resented uh, the change in leadership. I don't know if you're, you're aware that it all started with Uncle Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul got sent, and now Paul and Barnabas, from now on, Paul is number one, always. Uncle's been displaced. Paul is leading. He signed up with uncle in charge, but now Paul's in charge. And so commentators say, homesickness, uh, reality check, was too much for the guy, uh, or resentment. Whatever it was, he left, and it's a big deal, and we're gonna hear more about that. But the, the big part of this sermon is Paul's sermon. So uh, it's not so much my sermon to you as we're looking at Paul's sermon. So it's a sermon about a sermon, if you will, all right? So now that John Mark went home to mom, we can continue. Well, the reason I say he went home to mom, by the way, is I'm not just joking around. He, he went home to Jerusalem. He didn't go where the upper room, his mother's name is Mary, not the famous Mary. So he went home. He lives in the upper room. I mean, he doesn't probably have a bedroom in the upper room, but uh, that's his house. And it has a happy ending. You know why? Because we have the Gospel of Mark. You know who wrote the Gospel of Mark? The kid who just left and said, I want my mom. So apparently God is, doing, God is doing a good work in him, and he handled it well. And that's going to come up in chapter 15. So the remaining text, Paul and Barnabas are going to move up the mountain range at 3,600 feet, all the way up into the hills of Galatia there, where we're going to come into another city, a Roman city. And then they're going to go in the synagogue, and then you're going to get a long sermon and we're going to take a look at that and try to glean some insights because this is the gospel. This is where we get the gospel. Okay, verse 14. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. Can I just pause and say there's a lot. You need some lights, huh? Sorry about that. There you go. Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> Pisidian Antioch, you're saying, well, wait a second. The sending church is in Antioch. Yeah, there's lots of Antiochs. You know why? It's a title of a ruler. And so uh, they just tack another place. In, in honor of the leader, which is an Antiochus, this guy or his son, they use that word. Like we do. Washington, right? Well, which Washington are you talking about? You're talking about Washington, D.C. or Washington, this, or Washington Street? Yeah, so same idea here. So they make it to Pisidian Antioch, where I pointed on the map. Now, on the Saturday, on the Jewish Sabbath, they entered the synagogue, this Jewish church, and sat down. After the reading from the law, that means the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, uh, 
Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, thank you. Leviticus always escapes me. Uh, uh, After reading from one of those books, and then the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Well, standing up, (laughs) Paul's pretty happy about this. Paul motions with his hand and says, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power. He led them out of the country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And and after this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and he testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, from King David, our forefather, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John, John the Baptist preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not that one, no. But he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So here's the game plan with the sermon. There are three points, as most sermons have. And you can tell where the three points start and stop with brothers and men of Israel. So when he says that, he's changing the subject, and now he's got a different application. So we're going to take a look at this message, we'll walk through it rather quickly. But you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking personally for some pointers for, to help us in our sharing of the gospel. That is our task. You know, you don't have to be called as an evangelist or work in the full-time ministry, but God does expect you to share the gospel, to let your light shine before folks that they may understand that there's a God in heaven and be drawn to him. That is all of our job. So I just thought, here's, a, here's one of eight messages in Acts that we can kind of emulate. We can take a look at, pick it apart, and say, how does that help me when I'm trying to share the gospel? So there are 10 quick points. We're just going to go through them. They're not points. They're just pointers, all right? And so we're going to take a look at this first. Now there's context, right? So... Like I said, they go into the Jewish synagogue. The word synagogue means gathering place. And so it's like a Jewish church service. Very similar to what we do. Very interesting. They have a ruler or rulers, which are are the leaders. And they always open in prayer. They open in prayer and they recite prayers. And then, as I said, there'd be a reading from one of the first books they called the Book of Moses or the first five, which is called the Pentateuch. Now, the the man in Moses' seat would be seated and he taught while seated from the first five books. 
after there was a little explanation about that little sermon, then someone would stand at the bima, which was a pulpit platform, and take a scroll and read from one of the prophets and then give a little sermon. So that's what Jesus did in Luke chapter four. You'll remember, uh, Jesus got the second sermon. And so that's why Jesus stood and didn't sit when he was teaching. He was in the second sermon. And so that was so cool, right? He said, I'll take um, Isaiah. Yeah, so he, he opens it up. He finds his place in chapter 60, right? And he reads verses one and two that describe what the Messiah will do when he comes. So after he reads it, right, he, he gets finished, then he puts it down and he goes, well, very well, that's, that would be me. <laughs> that would be you? Wow. He says, uh, this scripture that I just read has come true in front of all of you today. Hallelujah. You know what they did? They took him to a cliff and they tried to throw him off it. You know what? That's not a good sign. And so here we get a lot what's going on in, in synagogues. And so, um, so Paul and Barnabas scoot in and they, they get comfortable and they're praying. They're looking for an open door. And suddenly the, the leader of the synagogue says, hey, brother, hey, hey, we heard that you're here. It's Dr. Paul because Paul has graduated from a very famous rabbinical school of Gamaliel. All right? They're from Jerusalem. They want to hear what's going on in the world, brother, and you're a former Pharisee. Come on, stand up. You've got something good to say? And Paul says, I do. <laughs> so Paul's never one to decline a speaking opportunity. And so he stands up. I could see Barnabas like whispering, oh, praise God. You know, just let's do this, you know? So Paul stands up. Now notice, first of all, he stands up grabs their attention, motions with his hand like an orator, you know? And he says, men of Israel, Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Pointer number one, speak, when you talk about the gospel, speak like you have something important to say. This wasn't a guy who got up stammering, kind of looking around and, you know, kind of with his tone and an apologetic kind of, oh, you know, here I am, no. He was an accomplished orator, yes, but more than that, they sat up because this is a guy with an, um, an important message. Those people who gathered there that Saturday morning, they're like, I'm glad I didn't miss this guy because he, he spoke with confidence. He spoke with passion. He spoke with a tone that said, listen up, there's something important you need to know. And so number one, when you're talking about Jesus and heaven and hell and eternal life, I hope your tone reflects that something important is on the line. You're not selling vitamins. You're, you're not selling Tupperware. You're not talking about, oh, you know, we just got back from a wonderful time. We went down to Kentucky to see my daughter-in-law. You know what? You're using the same tone you would when you're telling us about how your summer vacation was and da-da-da-da. And did I mention Jesus loves you and you can get to heaven if you trust in him? And, and let's talk about some other things. Now, you know, too much of that, uh, you're obnoxious and weird, right? Too much, I mean, sometimes you're like too intense. 
But a little bit of this is important. I was in Japan for a few years teaching English at a missionary college, and I had a friend who didn't speak very good uh, uh, English at all, a Japanese friend. And then we went to his house, and his father was fluent in English. And so I, his father was older, he was sick, and he had a disease that could take his life, so I started sharing the gospel with him. And afterwards, I asked my friend, Fumi-san, I said, did you understand anything? I mean, I'm sorry to shut you out the whole time, but we just went for it, right? And he said, no, I didn't understand through a translator. I didn't understand a word you said, but I knew whatever you were saying was important. It's important. Eternity is on the line. Just listen to your tone. Something should change. There should be some focus here. Men of Israel and Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. <laughs> yeah, why? Because I'm about to tell you how to get out of your sins and live forever and be forgiven and be put right with the living God. All right? So let the seriousness of the subject help bring the confidence and boldness that you need in the moment. You know, sometimes I'll look around here and I'm thinking, dear Jesus, how did I get into this predicament that I have to speak in front of all these people? Sometimes I'll see in the parking lot when it's really full and I'm out there and I'm thinking, the time, the clock is ticking. Sooner or later, I'm going to be standing up there and they're all going to be staring at me and I just start feeling sick, you know? I, I, honestly, but then you know what happens? I get up here and I realize, it's the gospel. I've got all these souls on board. This is a life-changing message. There are people here who don't know him. There are people here who are headed to hell. There are people here that one thing that God says to them and strikes their heart, and they receive in faith, their eternal destiny is changed. Not to mention how many times I've been in a worship service where the guy doesn't even know he's speaking something so important. It's a life changer. My whole life changed a couple times, more than a couple times, life-changing things on a Sunday morning. So then I forget about everything else. Why? How important it is. I don't even think. I never, I'm never thinking about anything except this it's the message from God that will save your eternal soul Amen. and to bless you. Amen? Amen? I better get moving or <laughs> we're going to have a sleepover here tonight. <laughs> number two, pointer number two, use the Bible. So here's what, here's what the text is all about. His text is I got to get them from where they are at, listen, where they're at to Jesus. He does it pretty quick because he's covered 2,000 years in one paragraph, all right? So, number two, use the Bible. Use the Word of God. I, you know what? What if they don't believe the Word of God? The Word of God is powerful in itself. So I like to just use it anyway to, to verify and to uh, validate all of the points. So here, here's what he's doing in these three points. And you can look at the eight sermons in Acts they're all really the same. They're called the kerygma. Kerygma is a Greek transliterated word that means preaching. 
So it's the preaching of the gospel. In other words, here's what it is. Christ the Lord, who is the Lord, the deity of Jesus, has come down and died for our sins. On the third day he rose again. He offers forgiveness and new life, eternal, to all who call on him, and he comes to judge the world. It's in all the sermons. That's why it's called the doctrine. It's called the gospel. It's called the the bones, the structure of, of what we share. And so, folks, when we're sharing, we're watching what we share. You know, it needs to be biblical. Now, if you want the New Testament kerygma, you can Google the Roman road, and, and you ought to have that down, because what it does is it answers the question, five questions. Number one, who needs salvation? Well, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Check. Number two, why do we need salvation? Well, The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. Next question, how does God provide salvation? Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Number four, how do we receive salvation? Romans 10, 9 through 8. 13, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus is alive, that right now that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If anyone calls on the name of the Lord, they will never be put to shame. That's pretty easy, right? And lastly, number five, what's the result of my salvation? Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, having been forgiven or justified by grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Done. That's the kerygma. That never changes. You know, kingdoms change, the world changes, countries change, leaders change, styles change. The kerygma never changes, but there is a push, my friends, to change that just ever so slightly, enough to make it ineffective. So be careful. Paul is preaching a biblical text. He's giving you the bones. This is the bones. Now, uh, the third pointer is make the gospel relatable. You know, uh, some things uh, change and the gospel doesn't, but the way we present it changes depending on who you're talking to. So when he goes into the synagogue, he starts with Abraham. Ah, but when he goes to the Greek uh, courtyards, where all the Greek speakers are, he says, hey, you know what? I noticed there are a lot of idols around here. You know what? I want to tell you about one you haven't named. I I was walking down the street. I saw one. Two, there was an idol, and we'll be reading about it in the chapters to come. There was an idol Paul saw, and it said, to an unknown God. In other words, if we missed one, we've got like a million of them, but if we missed one by chance, this is for you, right? So Paul said, hey, I noticed that one. You know, for the unknown God, I've got to tell you who he is. I know who the unknown God is, and I'd like to tell you about him. See, he didn't start with Abraham. They'd be like, Abraham who? They wouldn't say Lincoln. <laughs> they definitely would not know, right? 
So, you know, who, who's sitting there? Who is that person? Do they grow up in church? Oh, you take a different tack. You know, the, uh, are they angry about this? Are they an atheist? Do they like evolution? What's, it, what's their deal? So, to, you know what, what Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. To the Jew, I became like a Jew. I, I'm not really like a Jew. I'm like a Christian now. But, but to a Jew, I kind of became like a Jew. To the Gentile, I became kind of like a Gentile. To win them. He never said to the sinner, I became like a sinner, by the way. <laughs> you know, we love that one. Oh, when in Rome, you know, I'm reaching out. I'm witnessing there at the bar, you know. Order me up another one. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. <laughs> Moving on. All right, so uh, number four, guide them to Jesus. You see how fast he got to Jesus? Look what he said. He said, uh, starts from the beginning, Jewish history. God has been good to us, brothers. Amen. He chose our people. He led us out of the slave pits with a great and mighty hand. Amen. Uh, He put up with us 40 years in the desert, and he's been really patient with us Jews. And they said, amen, (laughs) and they're laughing, right? And then he says, and who would have think? Who would have think? <laughs> who, who would have thought? He kicked out seven of his tenants in the whole land of Canaan. He evicted them and put us in their place and gave that place as our inheritance. And they're like, what, did, what do you think they said there? Amen. amen, amen. And then they said, and then he said, you know, and then he was really patient with us, right? Uh, oh, and then we had King Saul, that whole disaster. And then what did they say? They said, oi, they, right? <laughs> all right. And then they said, yeah, but let's talk about King David. And they all said, amen. And then he said, you know, remember he told in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14, it says to King David, someone from your body is going to be the savior of the world and sit on a throne forever and ever and ever and ever. Someone related to your own body, also conceived of the Holy Spirit. Fully God, no father, but related to King David through his mother Mary, who herself is related to King David. Ah, so now we're talking Jesus, the Savior. So that's what they did. That's what he did, rather. So they're probably thinking, yeah, you know, we heard about this Jesus, but he's dead. So Paul's thinking, point two, let's handle their objection. Their objection is thinking, there's just some dead man. We know the man, Jesus, and he's dead. So Paul's got to fix two problems. He's A, not just a man, and B, he's not dead. All right. Brothers, verse 26. Children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem... And their rulers didn't recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree, that's a.k.a. the cross, and laid him in a tomb. But God the Father raised God the Son from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had been traveling with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses. Witnesses, eyewitnesses to our people. 
we tell you the good news. What God promised our Jewish fathers, he has fulfilled for us. They're children. That's who we are by raising up Jesus. As it's written in the second Psalm, you're my son. Today I've become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it's stated elsewhere. This is Psalm 16, verse 11. You will not let your holy one see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. So that's Paul's second of three points. Now, number five pointer for us, when I look at this, answer people's objections with the word of God. That's what he does. He says, listen, you got two problems. You think Jesus was just some guy, a nice prophet, and you still think he's dead. And you think they killed him like it was accidental. So I got to show you out of your scriptures, out of the word of God, I'm going to use two of your Psalms to prove that, that that's not the case. Psalm 2 shows that, boy, the son and the father are equal. They are one. So Psalm 2 speaks of the deity of the Messiah, that the Messiah is not just a man, that he's God the son. In a way, he is a son to the father in Psalm 2 that, that we are not. It's very different. They are together, they are one. And so then in Psalm 16, he says about the resurrection, we knew that was coming, but everybody thought it was for David. And he says, hey guys, David's still in the tomb, his body that is. Go check out the garden tomb. You're not gonna find a body there. So he uses Psalm 2, the deity of the Lord, Psalm 16, that God raised him from the dead, but the whole point is Jesus didn't die on accident. It's written. Check out Isaiah 53. He laid our sins upon Jesus' shoulders as a substitute for you and I so that we could be forgiven. He was crushed for our sins, and the penalty was laid upon him, and because of that, we're right with God. So really... And that's when he's saying, Psalm 2 and Psalm 16, uh, a biblical application for their stumbling point. Okay, so let's go to his third point. We'll wrap up the sermon. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified. That word means pardoned or forgiven or, or acquitted from everything you couldn't be justified from by the law of Moses, by keeping the Ten Commandments. Verse 40. Now take care what the prophets have said doesn't happen to you. Look, you scoffers. He's quoting Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not have believed even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them back to speak further about these things on the next Saturday, the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. So they got saved. 
amazing, a lot of them, 44. And on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God. So let's pause there. Now, you got up to five pointers, right? The sixth pointer for me was make them feel their need. Make the gospel attractive. That's Titus chapter two, verse 10. Well, what do you mean by that? Isn't it attractive enough in itself? Well, it depends how you present it. On a street corner, 1979, on my way into a club, bunch of guys hanging out, witnessing. One in particular engaged me. My friends were yelling and saying, come on, come on, man. But the Lord was dealing with me. So I was interested, never been to church a day in my life, but I, was, I heard the voice, <laughs> and now I wanted to engage. So he's telling me, I said, well, how do you live the Christian life? I'm interested because I, my father just became a Christian, and I'm interested, but I could never be a Christian. It sounds so hard. <clears throat> I don't like the things you guys like. I don't want to do the things you guys do. I don't, I don't like your music. I don't like anything about you. <clears throat> he goes, I know, it's so hard. It's so hard to be a Christian, you know. I said, do you change? Do you become, like, he says, you know, it's just a lot of dying every day. <laughs> Picking up the cross and walking, and, you know, sometimes it's just spiritual warfare. I'll never forget thinking, warfare? Why did that word come into this? I thought it was crazy. So he's saying spiritual warfare, you're under attack, you're carrying the cross, uh, you, you never realize two steps forward and three steps back. And I was like, you know what? I've got enough problems right now. <laughs> That's not what Paul's doing here. He says, hey, you could be forgiven. One, two, three. You know your whole life you've been trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Do you know how much work that's been in one second because of what Jesus did? You could be completely and utterly clean before him. All your stains washed away, white as snow, in right standing with God Almighty as his son and his daughter, going to reign and rule with him totally scot-free, let off the hook for every last thing. Well, no wonder the whole place wanted to hear that message because it was exciting. What are you telling people? What are we telling people? Yeah, we're, we tell them the truth, you know? But I would, if, if I were that guy, oh, I would have had a field day with me. <laughs> I'd have said, man, oh, you don't know. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart and changes you. And, and yeah, you know, you still have a sin nature, but you love God and you have power over your sins and you have this new life. You have, you're watching God Almighty work and you call out. You have a father who's listening to you who made heaven and earth. And now that's the kind of thing I want to be a part of, right? And, and Paul, men of Israel, I declare to you that through Jesus, you know the Ten Commandments done in a heartbeat and it's all free. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds good. Now, he says the Ten Commandments, boys, are not your friends. All right, you love it. Oh, Moses' law, Moses' law, Moses' law. Moses' law, they condemn you. Thou shalt not lie. What are you? A liar. Uh, okay, so you lie, you die. All right, that's not a lot of fun. They're not your, your, they're not your friends. Jesus is your friend because he fulfilled those for you. And he becomes your righteousness.
by just simply believing. Now, number seven pointer for me was don't leave out the warning, which is the coolest thing to do right now in modern day Christianity. Oh, you who always are talking the warning about hell or perishing or, 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 or sinning. Oh, we don't want to talk about the warning part. Well, he says, here's what he's saying. He says, listen up now. Everybody's all excited. But anybody here, he says, don't let th- what happened to the Jews with Habakkuk 1.5 happen to you. What was that about? It doesn't really make sense. Here's what, what happened in chapter 1 and verse 5. The Lord was warning the Jews, repent, the Chaldeans are coming, and they're going to wipe out this place. And everyone thought that was the biggest joke because the Chaldeans could never do that in their own strength. So they, listen, they dismissed the message of God because it was too hard to believe. Paul is saying, using that to say, are you going to miss heaven because of the supernatural, miraculous dynamic of what you're being told in the message? Are you going to excuse yourself from eternal life because it's just so wild? He said, people have done that before. Habakkuk 1.5, they perished because they thought, you know, even if God himself were to say, hey, listen, the Chaldeans are coming here. You better be ready. They wouldn't believe it. Well, I'm telling you a message. You got to take it to heart, even though it sounds crazy. Jesus Christ coming through the clouds with every eye seeing him, the whole world. And one part uh, of Christians just mysteriously vanishing from the earth while the earth kind of self-destructs. All of this stuff sounds completely maddening that there's an invisible God reigning in heaven on a throne. He says, don't let the miraculous nature of the message of Christianity stumble you so that you forfeit your own soul. And what's the reason you end up in hell? It just sounded too wild for me. Everybody's going to have a reason. We can interview them right now. We can unzip the the, the little spiritual veil here and and, and pull one out and and, and interview them. Take the microphone and just say, uh, this isn't in my notes, by the way, (laughs) but surprise. Uh, Sir, uh, what what was it that caused you to perish? What was it? Just tell tell us what caused you to to exclude yourself from eternal life. And he says... uh, Sexual immorality. Basically, by and large, the reason I'm not in heaven is because uh, I didn't want to give up sex outside of marriage. And sir, how about you? Why did you? Why are you here forever and ever and ever perishing? Oh well, for me, (laughs) it was all about the money. I just I had a money thing. I didn't have time for church or the Christian message. I just wanted money. Money. Money and sex. Or. uh, my, my, part, my problem was partying. I just couldn't let go of partying. I'd drink in and getting high. That was the reason you're here. That's really the reason you gave up eternal life for a few beers. Yes, sir, I did. Paul says, don't be like these guys who said, you know what their reason was? Well, somebody would grab the mic and say, uh, I just thought it was too fantastic, so I just said, it can't be. That's one of the reasons you end up there. Don't let that happen to you. 
And please, really, for the sake of God and Christ and the command of the scriptures, could you not leave out the warning? Don't leave it out. Well, that's the hardest part, because then they don't like us anymore, and they get mad. Yeah, well, it's part of the message. Listen, I'm, I'm wrapping things up here. But I was in an antique store. I told this on Wednesday night, but with a different application. Uh, I was killing time. Barb was gone at a conference, and uh, I was thinking of getting her something from that antique shop that she loves. <laughs> and so I was in there by myself. Thank you very much. And uh, I was in the back, nobody in the store, not a soul, except one elderly gentleman who was working there. So I said, hey, and by the way, I'm also looking for old Bibles. I, I collect old Bibles. I just love them. And he goes, I think I've seen some. I said, I see a lot of books. So we went back, me and him, and now I'm holding one of the Bibles. Now I'm holding a Bible. There's somebody, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, and the whole store is empty, and it's dead quiet. I want you to guess what happened next. <laughs> I just cut to the chase. Sir, are you a, are you a believer? <laughs> yes, no, maybe so. You know, I don't need church. I don't, I'm doing it my way. I'm doing it my way. I, said, I don't think that's very smart. You know, I don't think you should be doing it. I had a Bible in my hand, so it was so easy. I just kept pointing to it, you know? So I'm saying, listen, his way. You know what it says about there, that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid, right? He goes, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to find out, like us all. I'm going to find out someday. I said, sir, how old are you? And he said, 73. And I went. <laughs> and he said, I know, I know. I could kick over any moment and have a heart attack. And you know what, sir? Then I'll hear whatever it is I was supposed to hear. I said, no, no, no. I said, no, you don't want to hear that. Uh, you want to fix that in this life. That's why Jesus came in this life. Well, now he's getting a little bit like, I showed you the Bible section, Sonny. Now go away. <laughs> so I get out. I check out. I actually did get a Bible. It wasn't an old one, but it, it was large print, so I was happy with that. <laughs> but I said, listen, eternity is a long time, and you're getting to the end, sir, so please. And he went, just stop. And I said, okay. Now, this lends itself to the last portion of the scripture, so let's finish up with that. Not everyone's happy with the gospel. Verse 45 to 51, and then we're done. Now, when the Jews saw the crowds, okay, so the crowds are happy right? They were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you Jews first. Since you rejected and don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we're turning to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. Isaiah chapter 49 verse uh, 5. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles who were listening in, they heard that, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. 
but the Jews incited, listen to what the leaders did. They went to the God-fearing women of high standing, the business ladies, the, the gals who ran the place, you know, and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet and protest against them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Well, who's the disciples? The Gentiles, those who just believe. There's no other disciples up there but them. So pointer number eight for me is expect opposition, you know, but don't let that get you down. Jesus said, you know, if I was well-received, you would have been well-received. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And then funny thing he said, if they would obey me, they would obey your teaching. You know, so don't take things so personally. I was not presenting to this man in the antique shop anything of my doing. It's not my message. I am there as an ambassador. And my fear is, is that he is getting later on in life and that God is just for the record saying, didn't I send you a message right toward that time? And you shut the door. Now, the shaking off of their feet, as they're being tossed, they, they take their sandals and clap the dust off as a testimony against them. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it's very interesting. What it means, and Jesus told his disciples, do it. It's an idiom. What it means is, you've been there, you did your work, you were obedient, your hands are clean, and so, in, in a sense, you dust off the dust. If the dust could talk on Judgment Day, and God would ask the dirt underneath the feet of the antique dealer at the time the gospel went into his ears. Dust. Did this man ever get an opportunity? The dust would say, oh, sir, the gospel came in the front door. Uh, 14 days before his life was commanded of him. Yes, there was. And then who was that? Hey, Reinman, Reinman, grab the microphone over here. Did you present the word to this man? Did you give the warning? Did you give the kerygma? Did you tell him? Yes, Lord, I told him. Was it clear? It was very clear. What happened? He told me to stop, okay? That's enough, thank you. Now, I don't think it really works that way, but what the idiom to the dust is all about is if the dust could talk, the dust was there. You did your job, you walk away, you say, hey, you know, I'm gonna pray for you, and if God opens a door, you know, friend, you go back in there. You know, it's not an excuse to say, hey, you know, we write you off forever. The idea is I've done my work and now listen for, I think it's number 10. What number am I on? You need nine? Honor people's free will. Don't give up praying. But number 10 is focus on where God's opening a door. All right, so one door gets shut. Where's God working? Pour yourself in there. Don't get, don't get frustrated and obsessed with the one door that won't seem to be open. And they're not interested. You need to honor that. Jesus, you know, remember the rich young ruler? He shared an answer to one of his questions. And then the ruler walked away and went, no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. 
And we don't see Jesus running after him saying, oh, you know what I meant to say, rich young ruler, is that only sell partial amount of the caravan or whatever. In his case, he needed to let go of some stuff, right? But Jesus honors it. He honors people's choices. On that day, you say, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because they excluded themselves and he, God himself is honoring people's free will. So everybody, including our friend in the antique shop, God honors that. He heard and he made a choice. And so for us, the focus on responding people in a positive way. In other words, listen, your, your daughter, she's closed right now. She told you, please stop. But the husband or the boyfriend, he's open. There you go. There you go. One of your coworkers is angry and bitter and closed. Stop with the religion, right? But the other coworker is asking questions. So how, do, how was your weekend? Well, we went to church. Oh, how was it? You go to church, where do you go? She's open. Stop over here right now, right? Go over here where God opens a door. And so those are the kinds of lessons. And for me, verse 52 says it all. The missionaries had to leave the converts, but the, but the Holy Spirit didn't. So the, the Holy Spirit fills them with joy in the city. The Jews could drive out Paul and Barnabas, but they had a harder time with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is always uh, with us. So here they are. 10 things that can help us share the gospel. Number one, speak like it's important. Number two, use the Bible. Number three, be relatable with the gospel. Number four, guide the conversation always to Jesus, not to homosexuality, not to profanity, not to politics, not to abortion, not to morality, but to Jesus. God has a lot to say about all of those things, but all of those things, none of them are the kerygma. Stick to the kerygma. Number five, answer objections with the word of God. Number six, make the gospel attractive, something they'd like because it is something they need. Seven, don't leave out the dire warning. Eight, expect opposition and slander. Nine, honor people's free will to exclude themselves. And 10, look for open hearts and focus there. Oh, there they are. <laughs> what do you know? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful opportunity and privilege of listening and submitting to your word of truth. And now, bless us as we reflect on these great truths that spring from a wonderful sermon delivered that brought life. And we'll meet some of those hearts that were transformed that day in the synagogue, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't wait to hear all of these wonderful stories in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. So at the end of Paul's message, he gave them an option to accept and receive 
God's forgiveness or, or not, and many did. And so I don't want to end this time without giving everybody an option. Anybody here who you haven't been born again, you haven't opened your heart, uh, I'm not asking you to rede rededicate um, your Christian life, but if somebody here, you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're close, but today's your day, you want to open your heart and receive that forgiveness, all you have to do is believe on Christ and you shall be saved. And so we're going to bow our heads now and I'm just going to give the, uh, the call. If you're here, you want to get right with God, accept the peace he's made with you through Christ on the cross, you just signal that and say, I want to be included in the closing prayer. I want to surrender my heart. You just lift your hand up nice and high and say, that's me. Today's my day. I'm giving my heart to Christ today. I'm going to accept the forgiveness he offers me. Amen. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else want to join now that one hand broke the ice? They're right. One hand is good. Angels are happy. Singing a song right now. Let's repeat what we call the sinner's prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I've been living life my own way. I surrender all. I believe that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross for me, and rose again from the dead. I open my heart. Come inside of me by your spirit and give me new life. I give my life to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. And Heavenly Father, for, for those uh, Christians here that just feel challenged in sharing the gospel, may, may some of what we've talked about just in, be an encouragement along the way. Lord, we, we know it's important. <laughs> we believe there's a heaven and there's a hell, and the message makes all the difference. So help us be bold and to apply the truths of your word to sharing the gospel. That's so important. I, and Lord, we also pray for our friend at the antique store. All of us here, in Jesus' name, ask that the kindness of God would lead him to repentance. And God, that you'd give others an opportunity to share the word of God, that you'd soften his heart and help him to come around before uh, the end comes and with an unfavorable uh, result. So we do pray and ask in Jesus' name for this soul. And now we commit ourselves to your care, Lord. Bless us as we go about your business today in Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. All right.